Repeat after me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. Who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born to the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into death. And tis at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. God's holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Oh, he also, Jesus rose on the third day. I forgot that part. I'm sorry. And he descended back to heaven. Fun facts. All right. Hey, um, hey, real quick. Uh, listen, uh, I know last week uh, was kind of, was, was a rough week and a hard week um, on a lot of us. And uh, Pastor Jeremy is, is not here tonight, but he wants y'all to know um, that, that he loves y'all a whole lot and, and you guys will see him soon. So um, he'll, he'll be back soon and we're excited to see him. And um, I, know, I know he loves y'all a whole bunch. So um, tonight we're going to continue in our series. But before we do, um, I want to tell you all about a very uh, serious problem that I suffer from. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've noticed this about me. Those of you who, who know me a little bit better, um, MCs in the room, y'all just be quiet. But um, I have a problem where if I think something, my face gives me away. Thank you, Jessica. All right. My, my face gives me away and it's not been good for me, right? For example, um, about five years ago, one of my best friends got married and I was a bridesmaid. And uh, we were sitting in David's bridal, and she tried on the most hideous dress you have ever seen in your entire life, okay? Like, I'm all for weddings. I think they're fun. Like, I'm going to be 27 dresses. Like, I got it. And she tries on this foo-foo dress. It has stuff sticking off of it. And she comes out of the dressing room, and she steps out, and she goes, isn't it awesome? And I'm like, uh-uh, no. Like, like, as excited as I wanted to be for her, like, my face, uh, like, just gave me away. Um, sometimes when people ask me for uh, feedback on ideas they have, um, I try really hard to smile and, and be excited. But if it's a bad idea, my face just gives me away, right? Like, like sometimes um, I, people just bring really crazy ideas to me, and I have to deal with them. Um, also, if I'm mad or I'm frustrated, my face kind of gives me away. Um, I, a couple years ago, I was in Orlando with uh, some of the Master's Commission students and leaders, and we were working uh, for Microsoft, maybe you've heard of them, and uh, one of our jobs was that there was this room, and we had to load about 3,000 people into it, um, but the problem was there was two Ambers in the group we were working with, and one of the Ambers... Um, was like a lot younger than me, had a lot more attitude than me, and uh, believe it or not, and uh, was really rude. And so they're like, okay, Amber, you're in charge. And before I can even say like, oh, my name's Amber, uh, she grabs the headset and the mic and, and she decides she's going to be in charge. And uh, when things kind of slowly start falling apart, uh, they quickly realize they got the wrong Amber. Um, but then that girl was so rude to me afterwards. And like, she came up to me and was like, are, are you mad? And in my face, I was like, no, like, um, yeah, I want to be nice. I want to be kind towards you. Uh, but my face totally gave me away. 
Uh, anybody else suffer from that? So I know I'm not alone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, sometimes, even though our initial reaction can, can leave an impression, right? Our, our face doesn't always match what we're thinking, or in my case, it does. Uh, sometimes I think the same can be true when we read the Bible. And so for the past couple of weeks, if you've been here, we've been in a series called Jesus Said What? I think we, I think we have that, Bethany, don't we? So you can read it and see it. Okay. Um, and so we've been looking at a few of the like really hard things Jesus said. Because uh, if you're new to church or maybe you haven't been around church for a long time, uh, not everything Jesus says is like Holy Spirit sparkles and like unicorn poop, okay? Uh, Jesus says some things to us that are really hard, and tonight I want to look at one of those. And uh, when I first read this, uh, I couldn't help but, but kind of have a little bit of a reaction. So if you brought your Bible tonight, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 6, verse 27. And if you didn't, uh, we have it on the paper for you. And if you've already put your paper into a swan um, or origami or something, um, we can read it together on the screen. But here's what it says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. I don't know about you, but I don't have this verse hanging up anywhere in my house. Okay? It doesn't make me feel all warm and cozy on the inside, like Jesus is my best friend, and like everything's going to be okay. Like this is one of those verses where if we only ever read this, right, we would close our Bible, put it in our drawer, and, and walk away. Be like, Jesus is kind of being really harsh right now and kind of expecting a lot out of me. And I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I was like, that's really easy for you to say. You're Jesus. I'm not. Um, and Jesus, just in case you forgot, um, you created all these people around me. And uh, sometimes they're awful. And if we read this verse and just kind of stop there, um, we, we miss out. And we paint Jesus as uncaring and uninterested, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Instead, when you and I take time to, to really think about what does it mean, why would Jesus say this to us, we, we gain so much more. You see, when Jesus said this, it wasn't like he just was having a really good day, right? Like he wasn't like, I'm going to write some fortune cookies for the people who believe in me, and they'll just have to figure this out. Instead, Jesus writes this because he's giving us a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. He wants you and I to know if God's perfect will was happening, what would life look like? And so against all logic and reasoning, Jesus shows us what it's like to live as a member of God's kingdom. And it means that you and I are to love our enemies. And so tonight, I don't know about you, but um, I'm, I'm going to need a little bit more to this verse. I need to know what it means. So if you're taking notes tonight, which you should, because people um, who take notes... Um, Get to eat stuffed crust pizza. And, okay, no, get to go into heaven first. All right, so I want to give you three ways uh, we can make sense of Jesus' command to love our enemies. And this is the first one. Here's number one. We realize that even Jesus had enemies in his friend group. Maybe you're thinking, Amber, you have lost your mind. You, this is a, a very weird point. But if we're honest, we all don't always get along with everybody that sits at our lunch table. Amen? Okay. Um, I think there's several instances that I can remember in middle school and high school where for some reason my friends would think that these people would want to join us at our lunch table. 
for some reason they found their company enjoyable. Um, and, and there were several times where I remember sitting around the lunch table with people I really didn't care for. For example, uh, the first time this happened, I was in seventh grade. And at the school I went to, uh, if you were good, you got to eat lunch outside, which now as an adult does not sound as fun because um, it's hot. But uh, you got to eat lunch outside. And so me and my friends are sitting outside at lunch. And uh, my friend Sarah, who we called Camo, because um, she only wore camouflage, which is a phase. And um, Camo invited this new girl named Tegan to sit with us. And so Tegan sits down, and, um, you know, I tried to give her a chance. I really did. And Tegan was one of those people you'd be like, hey, I went to the mall this week, and uh, I got a new pair of shoes, and I'm just so excited about them. Like, I really am loving these Crocs. And uh, that's the kind of attitude that's going to put Crocs out of business. We don't need that, okay? Um, no, so you would tell Tegan that you went to go buy a pair of shoes, and Tegan would tell you that she went to four malls, bought eight pairs of shoes, and rode a llama on the way home. Like, she was just the kind of person that always had a one-up you. Uh, and if you've never been around that kind of person, um, you're lucky. But Tegan not only always had a one-up me, there was a boy in middle school. Yes. Uh, Girls like boys, it's, it's, it's okay. All right, so there was this boy in middle school, and his name was Brent, and I thought he was very attractive. And Tegan found out about that. And in uh, eighth period one day, Tegan decided she would take it upon herself to let Brent know that I liked him. Where were all of you in seventh grade? Okay. Uh, so, you don't even know what happened. Hush. So, after that moment, I, um, I did not like Tegan. She had told the love of my life that I liked him. She always had to have better stories than me, and I was done with her. Actually, me and Brent did date after that for um, four <coughs> magical days. Yeah. Four days. Thank you. Yep. Come back in February. That's a whole nother story. Um, so, but after me and Brent broke up and everything happened, I did not like her. And when I was in seventh grade, it was the early 2000s before some of you were born. And uh, I had this brilliant idea one day that just like in the show Survivor, where you can vote people off the island... I would vote Tegan out of my lunch table. And so I told all my friends about this, and they were on board. And uh, we were sitting at lunch, and we just brought it up. And me and my friend Camo, we were like, Tegan, the tribe has spoken. You've been voted out of our lunch table. That was her tiki torch. And... Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't stand Tegan. I remember seeing her in the hallway, even, even the next year, and it would just make my blood boil. And, and there was no, it was no secret I didn't like her. That she made my blood boil and, and, and just made me so mad when I saw her. But as funny and as fun as that story is to tell now, um, sometimes I can't help but get upset when I tell that story because I know that's not the way that I should have treated her. Because meeting hate with hate is not the kingdom life. 
And so when Jesus seems to make this audacious statement that we're to love our enemies, he understands what it's like. Because believe it or not, Jesus himself was betrayed by a close friend. Uh, actually, one night, the night Jesus was betrayed, he was, he was with a group of his friends, and, and they weren't eating cheese balls and playing Fortnite. Which some of y'all, that's like your extracurricular activity. Go outside. It's nice. Um, and so Jesus is eating with 12 guys, actually 12 disciples, who they, for the last three years, they had spent every moment together. They had lived together. They had ate together. They had traveled. Um, they knew each other really, really well. And so they're sitting there, and they're sitting at what's called Passover. And um, how many of y'all, your family, like, you guys don't always eat together, but on Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, you're like, we, we eat together, right? We bust out the nice TV trays. We sit at the table. Okay. So Passover was one of those deals. So they're at this moment, it's, it's a holiday where, where all of God's people get together and they celebrate the fact that God rescued them from slavery. And so they're sitting together and they're sharing communion. And Jesus was spending time with these guys and, and they're in the middle of this moment that's kind of sacred. It's one of those things that, that you take a picture of and, and put on the wall. This was a moment. And if you have your Bible or, or your bulletin or eyes, um, look with me. At Mark 14, 18 through 21, here's what it says. While they were reclining at the table eating, how many of you know, like, if you're reclining at the table, like, you're comfortable, right? Like, you've undone that top button. You wore your stretchy pants. Like, this is family. So while they're reclining at the table, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Verse 19, they were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. Imagine how awkward it is. You're eating dinner with the Son of God. You're eating really good bread because it's paleo. It's not paleo, but it's, you know, non-Monsanto or GMO. And you're sitting there with Jesus, and you're eating, and everything's really cool. And you're like, this is going to be one of the best moments in my life. Like, I can just feel it. And Jesus goes, hey, by the way, guys, one of you is going to betray me tonight. You're like, Jesus, that's really awkward right now. Okay, like super weird. And then you start kind of doing this gut check. You're like, me? No, God, like Jesus, me? Me? Like, but look what he says in verse 20. There was obviously other people there besides the disciples, but Jesus makes it really clear. He says, it's one of the 12, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me, just like Panera, just kidding. The son of man will go just as it's written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So there's a super awkward moment, and they're, they're sitting there with Jesus, and they're trying to figure out who it is. And even though Jesus knows that night that one of his closest friends will betray him, he keeps his enemies close enough to have a meal with them. Jesus declares he knows his betrayer is amongst them, yet he still eats this Passover. He still shares communion with them. I don't know about you, but if I knew some, one of my closest friends was going to betray me, I don't want to eat Chick-fil-A with you. I don't want to eat Olive Garden with you. I don't even want to eat samples of Asian food at the Galleria with you. Some of y'all just woke up here like, chicken? <laughs> but here's the thing, guys. Jesus is showing us something so important in this moment. He's showing us that loving our enemies 
that loving our enemies is, isn't something we can do if we're not close. He knew what was going to happen, yet he let Judas stay, right? Nobody would have been mad at Jesus if the story was like, one day Jesus was eating with 12 people, and he realized one of his friends was a real jerk and was going to sell him for some gold and silver, right? And so Jesus said, Judas, peace out. Get it to go box. We don't want to eat with you. Instead, Jesus paints this picture, and he says, he shows us that, that through sharing a meal and sharing space with people we disagree with, we will one day be able to love them. Jesus' instructions to love our enemies isn't to be done only from a distance, but instead up close. Some of you are going to wake up tomorrow morning, brush your teeth, hopefully, put on deodorant, praise God. You're going to get in a car or a bus or put your Heelys on or whatever. Why are you hating on Heelys? Don't act like you didn't want them at one point in time, okay? Let's be honest. This is church. They do. All right. But tomorrow, you guys are going to go to school. And you're going to walk onto a campus with people who you don't necessarily like. With people that have said things that aren't true about you. For some of you, maybe it's people that have accused you of things you didn't do. Or maybe for some of you, it's people you hate just because your friends hate them. And no matter what they did, hey, I want you all to listen to me because this isn't a joke. Whatever they did, more than likely their presence in your life is unavoidable. You're forced to see them every day. But Jesus gives us and Jesus leads us in a way where you and I don't have to go to school and live our lives when we see people we hate just getting mad all over again. Just getting offended all over again. Instead, he shows us that we can love our enemies. Maybe you're thinking, Amber, that's a lot easier said than done. There's some really nasty, wicked people in the world. I get that. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But instead, I think for you and I, we have to choose how we respond to people that we label as enemies. So if you're taking notes, the second thing is we choose how we respond to our enemies. And I'm going to give you three ways we respond to our enemies. So the first one is this, is we respond in mercy. Respond in mercy. Uh, if you have your Bible or your bulletin, look with me at Luke 6:36. Jesus is talking, and remember he said, you know, love your enemies. But then he goes on in the same chapter a couple verses later, and he says this. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The Passion Translation puts it this way. Show mercy and compassion for others, just as your Heavenly Father overflows with mercy and compassion for all. Guys, Jesus is calling us to live a life where mercy is our go-to response for our enemies. Mercy. I don't know if you've looked mercy up in the dictionary recently, but this is what it says. That mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. It means that you should get what you deserve, but you don't. Because for most of us, when we got decided that we were going to be followers of Jesus, that we were going to give this whole Christianity thing a, a try, that we were really going to give it a solid attempt, I guarantee you it wasn't because you thought it would be super cool or you wanted to wear a lot of WWJD bracelets, although they are cool. For the majority of us, if not all of us in this room, it's because we know our stuff and we know our sins and we know who we are, and we encountered a God 
who's so kind and so gracious and so loving and so full of mercy. We all received his mercy, which means that you and I are also called to give mercy to people who don't deserve it. I don't know about you, but um, I grew up in a family. Uh, my parents aren't Christians, and uh, anytime we wanted something extra, uh, we had to work for it. We had to earn it. There was no, like, free gifts. Um, and I remember uh, it was, like, at the height of the Beanie Baby movement. So those st- little stuffed animal things your parents have in the attic, and you're like, why do we have these? And they're like, don't rip off the tags. Um, um, so it was the height of the Beanie Baby movement, and I remember I wanted this Beanie Baby so bad. It was a stuffed dog named Patches. And I wanted this dog so, so bad. And I, and I remember my mom was like, well, if you want it, you have to work for it. And I remember I hustled. Like, my little seventh grade self, I was taking out trash. I was wiping down tables, right? Like, I, like, got the garbage can. Like, I was doing all the things I could think to do to earn this thing. But here's the deal. None of us earned mercy. When Jesus died on the cross, he, it was a free gift so that you and I can know what it's like to receive grace and to receive mercy in his kindness. Mercy isn't stuff. It's the power of the gospel. It's going, hey, I realize that you and I, we don't see eye to eye. You might have different political views. You might have different religious views. You might, you might have different views about everything else. But there's one thing that unites us. And it's that we're both equally messed up. I, I got baggage. You got baggage. Some of us, it's Louis Vuitton. Some of us, it's Walmart, right? We all got baggage. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, for you and for me, we can both receive and offer mercy. For some of you, you're going to go to school tomorrow and you're, you're not going to let what that punk in your fourth period class says to you bother you like it does every day. Instead, you're going to offer them mercy because, because you know Jesus. So here's the second way we can respond. We can respond in mercy. And the second way is this. We can respond in prayer. Now, when I say prayer, I'm not, I'm not saying those kinds of prayers where you're like, Jesus, please let them get diarrhea and be stuck in traffic, right? That is a cruel, twisted prayer that I have prayed on occasion, but not often. If you don't drive yet, you'll understand, okay? It's not a fun situation. But I'm also not saying that you have to spend hours each night asking God to pour blessings upon them. There's a way to pray for justice and for the hearts of those committing injustice. Most of the time, if you and I hate somebody, if we were like, that person is my mortal enemy. And for some of you, you, you have that person. He's in a, even as I've been talking tonight, you're like, yeah, Amber, you just don't know her. You don't know him. You don't know what they did. Most of the time, the place for you and I to start in prayer is to say, God, I really hate that person but I don't want to. When we want to change our view on someone, prayer is the best place to start. You want to know why? Because God's never thought one bad thing about you. So when you and I go to prayer and we go, God, God, I really have a hard time with her. He goes, yeah, but she's awesome. You're like, God, for real, right now, like, we're going to do this. Like, you're going to tell me how great she is. And after a while, you start to realize God's heart for that person. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. 
It says prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. When you and I start to pray, our, our will starts to line up with God's will, and we go, man, what God has and what God says is so much better than what I could ever, ever think or that I could ever plan. And when we pray, not only does God listen, but praying for your enemy opens up you up to the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. I, I challenge you, if you're in here tonight and you go, I just really hate that person. I just, I'm not, I'm, like, this is nice, Amber, like, it's real cute, but you don't get it. I challenge you, pray, pray that prayer, God, I hate, but I don't want to change my heart, and watch if he doesn't change it. The third way we can, uh, we can respond is by forgiving your enemies. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, said that forgiveness is the decisive factor and how much you can love your enemy. Forgiveness is the decisive factor in how much you can love your enemy. We, we've talked about it in here before. I think I talked about it the last time I preached. Some of you guys are walking around with so much unforgiveness on your shoulders that it literally feels like you're wearing a lead jacket. When you go to Jesus, he takes your unforgiveness, and he takes your hate, and he takes your pain. And he says, hey, let me have that because I have something so much better for you. When Jesus was on the cross and, and, and these Roman soldiers are killing him, you know what Jesus does? He doesn't cuss them out. He doesn't tell them all the terrible things they've ever done. But instead, he offers them forgiveness. Can there be any doubt of his love for them? Because his reaction could only be found rooted in love. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of God I want to follow. We see the power of forgiveness at work when we love our enemies. I don't know if you remember, but about three years ago, there was a shooting that took place in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. A, a guy came into a church and opened fire and, and killed a lot of people. But I want you, I think, Bethany, do we have that? As the victim, or as, as the guy who came in and shot up the place, is getting trial, he's on trial and he's getting his sentence, it says, Charlton victim's mother tells Dylan Roof, I forgive you, as he's sentenced to death. Now, we don't have time to talk about ethics and, and all the right or wrong. What, that guy, what Dylan Roof did was very wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying he was right. But what I am saying is forgiveness has the power to change people, to change situations. Could anyone doubt that when this church said that they forgave, that they were taking that they were seeking to take Jesus' words and examples seriously. Bethany, can you go back to uh, just the, the slide before? Guys, loving your, your enemy doesn't mean you add them to your Christmas list. It doesn't mean that you have to bring them a venti frappuccino and act like your best friends. Although if you'd ever like to bring me one, I will not be mad. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to be best friends. Instead, it doesn't mean you excuse their, excuse their actions. It means you forgive them with the knowledge that Jesus is merciful and just. Jesus faced injustice with sacrifice through prayer and forgiveness in our hearts and to repay injury with blessing and to repay hate with love. It's not easy to love our enemies, but Jesus' way is always going to be so much better than the temporary things that we do to make ourselves feel better. 
And so the last thing we do, the last way we make sense of Jesus' command is this. It's number three, if you're taking notes. We realize that things won't be like this forever. Have you guys ever seen Mulan? My favorite part of Mulan is uh, when the prince comes back to see Mulan after she saved China. And uh, Mulan asks the prince, she's like, would you like to stay for dinner? And the grandma's like, would you like to stay forever? Right? Guys, think this life isn't forever. As much as we want to think it is, as much as some of you are like, I will never leave middle school. Like, it's just not going to happen. I feel stuck. They're keeping me here. They're putting stuff in my square pizza. To, oh, do you still have pizza? Michelle Obama ruined that, didn't she? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys still have pizza? I just wanted to make sure you weren't eating carrot sticks, okay? Um, I mean, you should. They're good for you. Okay, anyways. Um, some of you feel like you're going to be stuck in this season of life forever, but here's the truth. This life is temporary. The, the 80, 90 years, maybe 100 by the time you guys get there. It's so, it's so temporary. But if the gospel is true and if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then we can be sure of one thing. There will come a moment when time ends and we'll see the truth in all of its glorious and spectacular clarity and that there will be a reward for loving our enemies. I love that Jesus isn't like, he's like, hey, suck it up, buttercup. Like, just love people that are hard to love, right? Instead, look with me one more time at Luke chapter 6, verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. That doesn't exactly make the here and now a lot easier. But what it does do is it gives us a big picture. It gives us God's picture. And it helps us to see that even though seventh grade's really hard, or even though 11th grade feels like it will never end, and you will never get to be a senior, and you're always going to have to put up with the same people in your chemistry class, that Jesus has a plan that's so much bigger than now. It makes it a lot easier to love those who are against us when we have a proper view of what's to come. And it makes us realize that loving our enemies isn't just about the now, but about what's to come. Tonight, um, I want to give you the opportunity to pray. Um, Daniel, if you'll put on something spiritual sounding. If you just started playing Katy Perry, we might uh, might not be easy to pray. Um, I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask all of our small group leaders if you'll make your way to the front. And then I'm going to ask you guys to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I know you love your small group leaders, but I promise you, you've seen them walk before. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. And um, real quick tonight, before, before we go and before we leave and do whatever, I want to give you an opportunity to pray because tonight th- this message isn't like an easy feel-good one where you're like, yeah, everything's awesome. But instead, for some of you tonight, God's challenging your heart and your mind and the, and the way you think about things. So tonight I'm just going to ask you two questions. Uh, and the first one is this, is if, if you're in here tonight and you would say, Amber, um, it's really hard it's really hard for me to love my enemies. And, and if I'm honest, I don't want to stop loving them. Be, or I don't want to even try to love them because they hurt me so bad. And tonight, I need God to remind me that he's close. And I need God to help me to forgive. Because as hard as this is, I can't keep living this way. If that's you with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand and put it right back down. Yeah, you can put your hand. Yeah, you can put your hand down. Thank you. 
The second question I want to ask is this, is if you're in here tonight and you would say, Amber, um, God's been doing this thing in my heart and I know that I have to love my enemies because God's called me to be an example. God's called me to be a light in my school. And, and tonight, would you just pray that God would help me to respond in mercy and to respond in prayer and to respond in forgiveness? If that's you with nobody looking around, I just want you to slip up your hand. Yeah, all across the room, side to side. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand. And, and this is all we're going to do. I'm going to pray. If you raised your hand or maybe you didn't raise your hand and you wanted to, I'm going to ask you to just come find your small group leader. Come, come pray with one of these guys or girls up, up front. For some of you, you, you feel God moving in your heart even right now. And just make your way this way. I'm going to pray. Then you can come. Jesus, we thank you tonight, God, that you're close. God, that you're near. And God, that tonight, God, that you're challenging the way we live. And God, you're challenging the way we think. And God, I pray tonight that your forgiveness, God, would overwhelm our hearts. God, that you would remind us of your mercy, God that, you, God, that you poured out your mercy for us. And so, God, I pray tonight that your words, although challenging, God, God, would help us to live a kingdom life, God, a life that, that isn't about getting even or seeking revenge, but a life that's full of love. Jesus, I thank you for every student and every leader and every adult in the room. God, I thank you that your love is so big, God, that it's for each and every one of us. So tonight, God, we, we rest in your love. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray, and everybody said... Hey, if you didn't raise your hand.